thank you. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, obviously I'm not a kid anymore, so this must be, am I, am I an adult? <laughs> must be. Yeah, so, okay. So I am um, going to, uh, joining a community in um, Burma very soon, Um so for some of you who don't know, I've been working in on the Thai-Burma border for three or four years with partners, Relief and Development, and I've undergone a bit of a transition in the last year um, in terms of how that looks, and we you know, joining a different organisation to move inside Burma. So this community that I'm joining is a community that has rhythms of liturgical prayer and through the day, and so it's a different, bit of a different way of being and what I've kind of grown up in and in fellowship as well, um, and a different way of sort of being present and being uh, doing mission, I guess. Um, so I felt a drawing towards these regular prayer rhythms for a while as a means of sustaining um, what we do, the action that we undertake in these in living in impoverished communities that we'll be living in. Um, and so Jeanette just asked if I'd share a little bit about what that looks like as a different way of uh, praying, perhaps, and um, forgive me if I've made an assumption that this is new <laughs> to people, um, so it might be a bit sim- simplistic, and so I apologise if you've heard all before. Hopefully it might just be, you might catch a few um, glimpses of some things that you want to explore a bit more. Um, so, liturgy, first slide, please. And I'm not here for an hour, it's alright, it's only uh, ten minutes or so. Um, so, liturgy, have I spoken? Literally means um, public work or public work of the church uh, or public worship of the church. Um, so it was from the Greek originally, and it was something that the church did and created a format, created a kind of schedule, a set of pray- praying and different things that was part of their their worship, and that's pretty much all it means. Um, not all it means, it means a great deal. But um, So it's really about something that we offer and participate in together as a community of faith. And it's um, as distinct from, but complementary to, personal devotions and that, that kind of prayer. Um, so there's some ways that theologically theologians have agreed on that we can know God. Um, and those are things like tradition, through tradition, through exper- our experience, through um, scripture and through revelation. Um, and so liturgy kind of fits in the area of tradition. It's how it's a way and means of knowing God and drawing deeper, going deeper with God. Um, yeah, and traditionally through different the different um, streams of of Christianity, like um, Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy or Celtic um, Christianity, they have different sorts of liturgy, um, and often they will pray something from three to seven, sometimes seven times a day. Um, and so that's just a part of their rhythm together of prayer that they do communally. Uh, yeah. So liturgy is about community prayer and practices. It's about making petition, uh, expressing praise and thankfulness as well as lament as a community through shared prayers and responses. Um, and I believe liturgy holds us together. So it holds us when we can't pray ourselves, um, perhaps, and where then others hold us or hold the prayers, us in the prayers, which is pretty neat, I think. I think um, currently there's been sort of a rise, I think, in interest around um, uh, liturgical prayer or 
rhythm, praise of rhythm, rhythm, rhythms of prayer and community. Um, and I think that's perhaps related to our sense of in our culture and in our world, we're quite disconnected and fragmented. Like we have lots of information, but we're really quite disconnected. Um, and we're rootless. We don't often, we're shifting around often, we're moving and we want to try different things all the time. So I think the resurgence of wanting something like this is because, um, it connects people. It makes them feel more grounded. Um, yeah. So um, there's something about sharing in a liturgy. Yeah, so it anchors us. <laughs> there is something about sharing in a liturgy that grounds us and helps us to feel connected in the big story of God with those beside us, and those, but also with those who've gone before us in the faith, which I think can be a beautiful thing. Um, participating in liturgical nature of prayer brings a new understanding of faith, how faith was expressed in history. Um, and as we immerse in the story, I, I believe... Um, that it forms us, it um, forms our identity as people of God, and I think that's that's important, and we share that um, through the centuries. Um, as we pray out loud together, there's a sense of solidarity, of strength in our joined voices, um, and of commitment that forms who we are. Um, we declare the goodness, presence, and hope that we have together, and there's something strong and powerful in that. A liturgy can be really rich, a rich discovery of beauty and truth, um, which can draw us into a deeper awareness of God. The repetition or rhythm of these prayers throughout a week, month or year reflect the seasons of the church calendar often, taking us through the seasons and events of Christ's life, from his birth, so Advent and Christmas, to his death and resurrection at Easter, the giving of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, etc. And this anchors us and centers us for the overarching story of God, which we are a part of. So following along in, in, in liturgy, and this way helps us to keep us connected again in the story, as I said, um, but it also connects us with others whom we share prayer with, um, so it's an important thing. It reminds us that we're not alone and that there is an overriding purpose in our life, lives together. Often a ritual element such as lighting a candle helps with creating a sense of sacredness in the prayers that we share together, and it symbolically reminds us that, that, reminds us that Christ's light dwells within us. Some people have trouble with the prescribed nature of liturgical prayer, I think, and perhaps a lot of people in our tradition do. Um, but I would ask them, what are the psalms of not prescribed prayer? And much of liturgical prayer is based on and in Scripture. And I think that's that's, power, that's where the power lies. Um, I think the psalms teach us that writing our own prayers in the different seasons of life, like in struggle, hope, joy, obedience, is important and acceptable. The psalms can and have acted as a framework for our own prayers to be written. And this is where liturgical prayer stems from. The discipline of committing to a rhythm of liturgical prayer is also a means of training ourselves in patience and humility, I believe. Uh, it is a spiritual discipline. Um, by participating in this, we show respect for the history of our faith and of those who've gone before. The regular, hum, the regular humbling of ourselves to prayer through the day reminds us that God, not us, is in control. It can help us acknowledge that we don't have all the answers in our modern world as we enter into the wisdom of old. This is where liturgy can slow us down. We have to attend to the words and think about them if we are to enter them meaningfully. It can create space for us to think more deeply. Silence can also be a part of liturgy. 
So silence together, sharing silence. This is a time when we put aside our ever-present sort of over-realized inclination to make noise and listen to our own voices. It's a time where we attend to the inner journey in communion with God. And there's something quite beautiful about um, shared sacred silence together. There is something quite countercultural about it too, uh, about nurturing silence as a practice, communally and personally, where sacred space is held and entered into. So this is all part of liturgy. This creates an openness where we might hear God as we push aside the ruminations and worries of our own voices for a time. Okay, next slide, please. So I just, a a few things about resources, like um, there's some really neat stuff around and about how uh, to to enter in or to find something that might help guide um, you in a sort of more liturgical kind of way. Um, as a group or as a, um, yeah, whatever. Um, so often most traditional churches have a, what's called a lectionary, which will um, take you through uh, morning, eve- morning, midday, evening prayers usually. And um, they'll have <coughs> scriptures to be read and shared together at those times of the day. And you have this knowing that, like the Anglican lectionary safe in New Zealand, that People in Anglican churches throughout New Zealand are sharing the same prayers or sharing the same scriptures, and there's something quite neat about being part of that together. Um, what else have I got up there? The New Zealand Prayer Book. I don't know um, from the Anglican Church. I don't know if anybody follows that or uses that at all. No, no one. Okay. Um, it's really quite beautiful because it's relevant to New Zealand, and it has in it prayers and um, your daily small group all sorts of resources actually in this in this little little book here and it has Maori uh, present Maori and you uh, understands our sort of context as well so it's got a really neat actually I don't I should have done that but um rendition of the um Lord's Prayer in sort of a Maori sort of way or a New Zealand contextual understanding which is quite neat um and then there's another resource up there or oh, following the church calendar I talked about that so following the seasons of that which holds us and then there's a really good book called The Rhythm of Life. And that's the that's the book that we use at the, in the Yangon community. So we follow through. A, we actually pray four times a day. Um, obviously, life happens around that, and sometimes you only get to two a day or whatever. But yeah, so we're living in all of life as well um, with that. And then there's lots of online resources, which you know, if people are interested, I could um, direct direct you to. But you could also look look yourself for some. There's some really really rich things um, there. This book too has been really helpful for me because it's nice and easy to kind of take anywhere and it's got in it your sort of morning, morning, midday, evening prayers and other prayers for different times and seasons. And um, in the introduction it says, and this is a really difficult Irish name, this churchyard, in the Kilmalkedar churchyard on a mountain in Kerry in Western Ireland, there stands an ancient sundial, perhaps a thousand years old, carved into the face of a standing stone. On the surface of the sundial, there are marks for the daytime canonical hours, the times each day when monks, nuns, and lay people would would chant or pray the liturgy of the hours. And that's just a an example of the historical nature of um, and beauty, I guess, in um, praying together and praying regularly as part of a liturgy. Yeah. So I thought we'd just pray out of the um, out of the New Zealand prayer book, uh, the Sunday morning prayer is uh, quite lovely. Um, 
and it's Sunday. So often these are reflective of the day of the week. So Sunday is symbolically the day that Christ rose or the, that um, his light came, light came and that uh, the tomb was empty and then Resurrection Sunday. So it echoes that. So some of the prayers will echo some of the, the history of what day, the days represent. So if we could have the next slide. This is the beginning of the prayer. Now some of you might want to just uh, sit and absorb and listen and that's what's neat about prescribed prayers. Often you can absorb and focus. Um, while I read, while I pray, um, and others might want to follow along. So you, let's let's pray together. Speak it out if you feel you would like to, um, and then we'll just have a, just a little bit of you know silence at the end, maybe thirty seconds or something or a minute, just to reflect on um, on that. So, God, you are our beginning, and you will be our end. You are made in your, we are made in your image and likeness. We praise and thank you for this day. This is the day on which you created light and saw that it was good. This is the day in whose early morning light we discovered the tomb was empty and encountered Christ, the world's true light. This is the day you've made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Next slide. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Last slide. Eternal God, Grant to us this day and every day such readiness and delight in following Christ that whether our lives are short or long, we shall have lived abundantly. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you? Um, yeah, I guess I was also invited to share um, some things that have been on my heart for prayer. And in some ways, they might sound as though they're sort of cutting exactly across what Claire's talking about. Um, but, you know, liturgy is connect. Claire said liturgy is connecting with God. It's about rhythms, um, slowing us down and about silence. And, and so though the way that I would like to share this morning about how I connect with God through prayer is quite different. I just, yeah, think that there's also a lot of similarity. 
And um, I've been reading a book recently about prayer by Timothy Keller, and it's got a quote in there that says, the Bible does not present an art of prayer, it presents a God of prayer. And so what we've been talking about for these last several weeks is about connecting to God through prayer and in the best way that you see and, and in different ways and that sort of thing. So I'd just like to share that. Some thoughts on that this morning, and it's my privilege to do so. Before I start, can I just get Lockie to stand up? He's got no hair now, so thank you to everybody that donated uh, to him. We, um, through his efforts, cool, through his efforts, um, he was able to present to his cousin and to their family just over $1,500. Um, so that's a massive effort, and I'm like really proud of him for that. Yeah. Um, I read a book a couple of summers ago called The Four Hour Work Week. Has anyone ever read it? It's by, yeah, people. It's by a guy named Timothy Ferris. And this book is about automating, in a nutshell, it's about automating everything that you can in your life so that you only have to work four hours a week. And that, so in doing so, can live like the dream lifestyle. And, you know, automating your finances, automating your administrative tasks, automating, um, yeah, anything that might take up time. And it was actually quite a good book and it had some good ideas, so I'm, I'm not knocking the book. But I bring it up because I had a workmate who got really obsessed with it. He got really obsessed with minimizing everything. You know, he decided cooking was a waste of time. So he just juiced everything or blended it up. Um, he had all these financial schemes going from time to time that he was just slightly more clever than everybody else and he was going to be able to nail it in, in, in that area. <clears throat> and those things were things that we enjoyed in, as an office. You know, we just had little laughs about about this gentleman. But the thing that we really, really enjoyed, um, he extended his minimalist uh, approach to sports as well. And so he decided that he would take on long cycle races and be able to complete them doing the minimum amount of training possible. So these were really good because <clears throat> I'm not sure how many people here have ridden around Taupo or heard of that race, but it's around 160 kilometers. And he decided that, I can't remember the exact amount, but he did somewhere around 10 or 15 hours training. And for that, he completed the race. But you know, some people would think you did a terrible time. Other people would think you suffered intensely for three days afterwards. But he, in his mind, he was killing it because he had been able to complete it on just this minimum amount of training. And when it comes to the rich and the important things of life, I'm not sure that doing the minimum is actually going to get you very far at all. It hasn't for me and it hasn't in my life. When it comes to things like Sorry, as an as an avid runner, runner <clears throat> I know I know that running in the hills is going to be terrible on no training. You at your job, if you do the minimum, you might be able to keep your job, but it's not likely that you're going to be the person that people look to. And yeah, promotion for that guy definitely. And when it comes to personal relationships, um, doing the minimum isn't going to get you very far. You know, as a mother or as a father or as parents. If you do the minimum, you know, your relationship with your children perhaps um, won't be served well um, in the years in the years further. And young men, if you're in a dating relationship, doing the minimum, note-taking, isn't going to get you far either. And when it comes down to it, 
prayer is about a relationship. It is about a relationship with the God who created you, the God who knows you, who loves you, and who died to save you. Growing up, I knew from the example of people that I admired that prayer was at least a good idea. You know, when I got up in the morning, I would meet a father. If I didn't meet my father with a Bible on his knee, I met my father with his head on his hands praying. You know, I grew up in church. I'm not sure if everyone here grew up in church, but you'd hear these speakers come and talk and come and pray. And they would talk about this Jesus in a way that just seemed like they were really good friends. And when I got a bit older and, and had mentors and that sort of thing, we'd meet for food in a cafe, and they'd even want to pray over the food in a cafe. I mean, maybe at home, but come on. And, but in seriousness, the older I got, I just, yeah, as I got older, I realized that the people that really knew Jesus and really had a strong faith were people that spent time in prayer. First Timothy 4 um, verses 7 and 8 is the verse that I'd like to talk from today. So if you have um, a Bible or a Bible app, then um, yeah, I would invite you to have a look at that. And I'll read it out. It says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And my testimony this morning is about, it's just a story really of hard work about this training. But why do people train? People don't generally train for nothing. People don't generally just waste their time and their energy. They need to have them. Sorry. Um, my grandfather had rather an unusual training regime for a while. He would back his car out of the garage. He would set up a trestle table and check that it was level. And then he'd build a small brick wall on the table. You know, it would have been about perhaps eight bricks wide by about six bricks high. It would have been the perfect size obstacle for when I was in my skateboarding prime. And after he'd finished, and after he'd made this little wall and checked that it was level and admired his handiwork, he would unmake the wall. He would unbuild the wall. He would take all the bricks, scrape all the mortar off them, stack them up again. And he'd even sift the mortar back into the sand form for next time. For most people, for, for a lot of people, that would be a stunning definition of a waste of time, right? But he had motivation. He did it to keep active. And as a practical man all his life, without the physical ability to do a whole lot as he got older, he was motivated by, the, by maintaining the ability to complete a practical task. And after he'd, maybe after he'd done it the first time, the motivation grew into something of a hobby, something that he could go on with, something that to get you know, exercise and also some satisfaction. So when it comes to prayer... What is our motivation? Well, for me, for the last couple of years, my motivation has been pretty simple. And that has just been to know Jesus. Throughout my Christian life, I believed and knew a lot about Jesus. But I didn't, uh, sorry, uh, that he had created me and designed me. 
that I was loved and that I was forgiven, but I didn't know him. And all of those people that I mentioned at the start, they, like I said, they really seemed to know him in a way that I didn't. Jesus says many times in the Bible that we can know him. In John ten fourteen, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And in John fifteen fifteen, as we often sing about, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. And I really wanted to know the reality of personally knowing Jesus. And I'd like to suggest that when it comes down to it, that's all prayer is really about. If you get down to the core of things, it is about knowing Jesus. If you're praying for healing, you're getting to, you're praying to get to know the God who heals. If you're praying for a need, you're getting to know the God who provides. And if you're repenting of sin, you're getting to know the God who is merciful. And so for me, this motivation to know Jesus more has led me to put things in place in my life so that I was set up to know Jesus, things in my every day and things in my every week. Just using the metaphor of training, I just would like to share a few of those exercises that were part of that. One of the things that I put set up in my week, for example, was fasting. I knew that if I just decided to fast every now and again when I felt like it, that I would never actually learn the discipline of denying myself. So one day a week, um, aside from things like sickness and summer holidays, for example, for the last three or four years, I've waited until at least mid-afternoon one day a week before that I, before I started eating. And when I've done that, I've prayed, not necessarily for something specific. It's just been simply to ask God, to seek God, and to um, bring myself closer to Him. Sometimes through those days, I'll pray loads. Other days, I'll just remember to pray just before I go to um, have something to eat. But at the start of each day, I'm setting my mind and saying, God, I want to know you more. And this has really helped with knowing him more, but it's also really helped with sin. Um, having a time each week where you suffer the discomfort of not eating really helps um, in other areas. Another exercise I began was when I was pressing into God to know more of his Holy Spirit. And that was to spend the first five minutes when I got into the car each day praying in tongues. And as this grew into a comfortable routine and as I drew closer to him, you know, I didn't have to remember like, oh yeah, I'm in the car, let's turn the radio off. Let's change the music that Anna's put on. I could, I just got in the car and I shut the door and I just got started and I just checked in with God. And that's really become one of my most cherished times. You know, I just get in the car and I just like check in and I just sort of reflect with him and um, chat to him and, and pray. And and this even extended to praying. I used to work in Wellington until recently. And so I, I would cycle into town and I'd just pray just about the whole way while I was biking in along the motorway. And um, that made going, sorry, arriving at work full of prayer really made a difference to my work life. Another thing has been to practice new things of God once I have learned them. 
through an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit, I came to understand and know that the presence of the Holy Spirit isn't just reserved for special times or for special occasions like camps and that sort of thing, but that it is available all the time, wherever I am. So in order to learn this with confidence and to get to know that part of God, I decided to spend an hour or so before I went to bed, every spare night that I had for about three months. I'd just sit in the lounge and I'd worship and I'd praise God and I'd just stir myself up. And in time, you know, the comfort that came from that place really helped me with when I had low, low self-esteem or when I, yeah, was feeling down. And so I hope this testimony gives an insight into how this verse says that godliness is useful in all things, holding promise for this life and for the life to come. These perhaps sound like success stories, and maybe they were and maybe they are, but they each started off as quite hard work. And I'd just like to share one more testimony and then a reflection to finish. I was seeking God's direction for my life and seeking his guidance um, with all of the things that I had on, things like running youth and, um, yeah, just where I was at. And so I penciled in an entire morning that wouldn't be dedicated to achieving anything, just stepping out of the busyness of of life to recreate and to learn and to rest and just to hear from God. And, you know, starting off, that was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. I wasn't achieving anything. I had nothing material to show for my time. And it was at work. I mean, I often got bored, and I was. this was supposed to be like time with God. For about two and a half months, I had some times where um, this time was rich and valuable, but other times I battled. Um, but as time went on, uh, and clarity came. Uh, I had these really wonderful times of feeling loved. I had really wonderful times of the troubles that I had on my heart just melting away. You know, sometimes I'd just end up sitting in the car crying by myself. Other times I would just feel really joyful. And I'm not sure how this sounds to everybody. I don't know if it sounds really extreme or over the top or or what. And understandably, you might be thinking, actually, I don't have any time to spare. You know, in my week, I barely get any time to myself. I just want to bring you back to my grandfather and and his brick wall. To build a whole brick wall, you've just got to start with the first brick. I started by with five minutes, or I started by adding prayer to something that I was already doing. And you might not feel like you have time to set aside to do an hour of this or an hour of that now. But with time, I've found that some of the things that I used to think were quite important have become much less satisfying. You know, I've found television or streaming series or movies much less satisfying. Um, I actually don't have to be up with the news all the time. Each time I learned something new or maybe added a new discipline or discovered something new about God, I was putting down a brick. And with each gain, I was putting down another brick. And in Romans 29, 
uh, sorry, Romans eleven twenty nine. it says, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. So unlike my grandfather, when he's in his garage and he's got his trestle table out and he's building his wall and then he's unbuilding his wall, when it comes to our time with God and the bricks that we lay in our relationship with God, when we are adding brick after brick and addition after addition, and there is no unbuilding phase. As we hold on to that promise, I think that we can be greatly encouraged by Paul's words to Timothy, that we are building not only for this life, but for the life to come. You know, these have been my experiences that I I really, you know, that that training does pay off, that spending time with God does lead to knowing God, and that perseverance um, does bear fruit. And I just um, really want to encourage everybody in that today. Um, And I'd like to pray also to finish. Father God, thank you that we um, serve a God who loves us and who is personal, Lord. And Father, that there are many and multitude ways to be able to connect with you and to be able to spend time with you and be able to build your you and the relationship with you into our life, Lord. And just ask that you would encourage us in that, Lord God, that when we spend time with you and we step out, we will do that in faith, Lord, that you will be found by us. Um, yeah, I just thank you for this morning. I just commit that to you, Lord. Amen.